chapter 4. That's where we're going to camp out uh, today. And uh, I use that term intentionally um, because right now, I, I don't know if you know it or not, I think the youth ministry figured it out. If you leave on Sunday, uh, it's, it's a little bit you know, easier to remember how much prayer teenagers need. Uh, our, our children left yesterday. Uh, Jana and our team left yesterday, and they're at camp already. If you're on our Facebook pages at church, you're kind of seeing some of those updates. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to camp before, uh, but there's a reason why um, our, our ministries, our students and children's ministries, make such a big deal about times like camps or VBS. Um, because there's times to get away. And, and I would liken it, um, whether it, it be now as an empty nester getting close around the corner or if I can remember back to my honeymoon. Um, when I got married, I wanted the world to know that I was married, but I wanted a week to focus on my wife. Amen? I just wanted just to have some us time, uh, undistracted by everything else. Well, camp is a time where our students and children get to kind of drop everything in the norm, and we speak about God all the time. But it's when they get to kind of step out of that, and they just get a, a special knowing, I feel like, uh, with him. And so if you will be praying, our children will be at camp and coming home Wednesday. Our students leaving today will come home on Thursday. So that's what's going on in our youth and our children's ministry. So be praying for them. Um, today, uh, we're going to be talking about what, um, what we believe about God or what God is like. And we're going to hit what we believe about God and the Trinity and we will be done before we pass away. Like, that's what I started thinking this week. How do you do that? So as I started preparing um, to talk about what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, here's what I told Christy midweek was, but was my greatest difficulty is, where do you begin? Where do you begin? I, I think I know the answer to where do you stop. You don't. But, but where do you start when talking about God? And, and I, as I wrestled with this, I came to this uh, realization that I was going to have to be okay with you and I not having how to understand the Trinity handbooks by the time we were done today. Is that fair? Is that a fair expectation? But, but instead, I want to, to remind you of the importance of the need of knowing what we believe about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and why it's important. So I started doing just some research over the importance of that. And where I started with the importance is, if it's important, then there's a need, right? Um, Jesus wasn't sent to die for us because God thought it would be fun. He, he said, there is a need that sin has caused between me and creation, and I desire to take care of that need. That's why Jesus came and gave his life. So there was a need out there. So I started to, to look at this. And I don't know if you ever heard this word. Have you ever heard the word the nuns used in our society today? It, it, the nuns, if you were to, to Google it and just start scrolling, you would start seeing that word nuns tied to um, religion very quickly. Uh, nuns are people that say uh, none of the above. We, we don't uh, connect with, believe in, or subscribe to any of these religious models. And they find themselves, people who do this, find themselves saying I'm atheist, saying I'm agnostic, or I'm just nothing. Uh, they, don't, they don't have a word for it. And, and this, this group has been something that's been uh, always around, but something that's been tracked really well uh, since after World War II. 
And if you were to look at today at evangelical Christians in America, right, and, and that would be what we're a part of, people who believe in the, in the gospel and the need for the gospel to be shared, do you know people in America that call themselves none, unaffiliated, equal the same amount of people who call themselves evangelicals? 30% of the men and women that you run into on the streets uh, of our city, of our country, would say that they are none of the above. That there's a real need, there's a real void, a real distance. And, and here we are sitting in the Bible Belt uh, here in Texas and realizing uh, that something crazy has happened. Sociologists for a long time have been trying to figure out why people are religious. Um, it's a very interesting thing to kind of walk through that. And, and here's what their theory has been most of the time is when religion is there, when education and prosperity increase people start to become less religious. In other words, dumb people like religion and smart people don't. That's literally the theory uh, that's, that's going on to it. And believe it or not, the more wealthy and the more prosperous societies become, the, more, the less religious that tends to become. That's been true over the last you know, 80, 90 years it, all around the world except in one country. Can you guess the country that has been bucking that trend? Believe it or not, it's ours. America is the only country where the trend in prosperity and, um, and education has not done to people's engagement and belief in their religion that is done all over the world. But then something radical has happened over the last 25 plus years. Here in our country, we're making up ground. In fact, some people would point all the way back to 1978 that's when it started all of a sudden there became a almost like a catch-up trend of people who say i don't believe in religion i don't believe in god in america that doesn't seem to be tied to education or prosperity in the same way and, and there are a lot of theories of why that is i've heard i've heard uh, some people talk about that christ has stopped being the modifier and therefore um, the modifiers that we put on top of christ cover him up and people can't see that that modifier may be skin color it may be political party it may be preferences it may be color of church carpet however it might be but it's almost like something else determines what kind of christian i'm going to be i've heard that theory uh, many times i've heard it the other way people have seen christianity as a modifier instead of an identifier in other words i i am a christian blank person i am a christian american um in other words americans who i really am but christianity modifies that but it's not my identity so it's easy to lose there, there's just all kinds of reasons but the reality is is that there's no one out there that is putting their finger on why this curve is checking itself the way that it is so so why is this important why does this matter because you and i need to be ready to articulate to someone in a way that brings glory to God, that encourages and edifies the person in front of us, we need to be ready to tell them why we believe what we believe. And, and that starts in this Genesis at the Creator. Do, do you know Jesus, if he is not God, and if there is no God, and he was just a good moral standard, is not worth what we, what we say we give our lives to. He, he, he's not enough. If he is not God, he's not, he's not sufficient. 
And, and there's been a time when I think that, that we would have just looked down on someone or embattled them or belittled them for making us have to articulate why we believe in God to them. But I want to let you know, as we walk through Scripture, articulating why we believe what we believe, articulating what we believe God is like, who we believe God is, is, is really an introduction to the one who changes lives and eternities forever. And so I don't know um, where you are in your Christian walk, but as I look around this room, I can tell you this. Out of everybody in this room, you are living in the most um, irreligious time you've ever lived in in this country. And, And you and I need to know what we believe about God so that we can share it with people who have questions or who don't believe in a way that edifies the Lord. And that is not combatively, it's not in belittling, it's according to scripture. So it's 11.15, that means I have 30 minutes to get us through this. Um, there's a, a, a deal on the screen, if you'll put it on there, this is kind of a, a short summary of what we believe about God. And by short, I don't expect you to be able to read it. Can we get us on the back screen with me? Um, it's also in the, the pamphlet next to you. There's a whole lot more to it than this. Um, I tried to rework and shorten this a little bit, um, like we've done with some of the others. I became, found it impossible to do so. So if you want to know what we believe about God, it's this. There's one, there's one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is powerful and all-knowing. He is perfect. His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including future decisions of his free creatures. To him, we owe the highest love, reverence and obedience the eternal triune god reveals himself to us as father son and holy spirit with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature essence of being okay there is no way we're going to unpack that all today but i want to let you know that that is what god is like and so much more. It, we, we can say, well, God is love. Well, God is definitely love. Scripture says that. John points to it over and over again. But you know what? God is also just, and God is also holy. I, I think one thing that we try to do is we have to, we try to create this box, this framework that says, this is God. And, and, and if it fits in that, then he can be my God. Well, church, note to self, God will not fit into any form framework that you or I build around him. When the people of God are complaining in the Old Testament, he says to Isaiah, who are you to give me counsel? Were you there when I created the universe? Were you there? Do you know that I measure out the sands in the hollow of my hand or measure out spaces between my pinky and my thumb? Who are you? So church, I I want to let you know right here and right now that the framework that we like to build around God to make ourselves comfortable is insufficient to contain the God of the universe. Amen? Amen. He is not some genie, infinite power with an itty-bitty living space. Right? I grew up singing a song, Moms, I Apologize in Advance, but we learned it in VBS. If I have a 
little white red box to put the Bible in, I'd take it out and read, read, read and share it with a friend, right? If I had a little white box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out and kiss his face, put it back again. If I had a little black box to put the devil in, I'd take him out, sorry for the violence, and I'd stomp his face and I'd put him back again. I think somewhere along the way, we just started wanting a God that we could put in a little box. A God who we could access when we wanted to and then put back in our pocket and save him for the next time we need him. That is not the God of Scripture. So in your Bible, we're going we're gonna to walk through this. Um, Romans chapter 1, we'll start in verse 18. And then we'll, we'll make our way through it all today. Um, and my prayer more than anything else is that this starts to, I guess, prime your pump to run hard after who the Lord is. Verse 18, we'll only read verse 18 to start it off. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now pause right there. This is really important. We're going to get to verse 19 in just a second, so don't look up too long. But, but, but I want you to know God's wrath being revealed, his, his punishment, his discipline, his judgment is being revealed against ungodliness and righteousness that suppress not a truth, but the truth. Now this is really important, okay? Not suppress a truth. They don't suppress my freedoms. They don't suppress my desires. They don't suppress my rights. They suppress the truth truth okay verse 19 for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them stop now, now here's what I want you to know that the, the Bible tells us two things one that God is plain and we'll unpack that that God is made plain to all creation but there are some who suppress the truth of God. And, and here's the interesting thing. We often think about this combatively. We, we just live in a 1980s, 90s, 2000s cultures where everything's a fight. I read an article even this morning um, talking about um, an instance going up that, that was non-political, crazy enough, that why are we a reactionary, everything's a bomb culture? Like, why is everything hands up? So here's the interesting thing. When it comes to suppressing the proof, we often think of what other people are doing to us because that's what self-centered people do. But, but I would tell you this, that the unrighteous, if we look through the pages of Scripture, the truth that they suppress about God, they suppress to themselves. Some do it suppressing a lie. We can look back in the, in the Old Testament and we see intentional hiding of the truth in that. But over and over in Scripture, it talks about people not knowing God, not knowing Him. Do you know what's amazing what sin does? Is it suppresses this truth about God? And, and there are absolutely some in this world who desire to suppress the truth of God that they know to be real among other people. And that is absolutely true. And they are enemies of the Most High in a very obvious way. But I will tell you, we sing that I was lost, but now I'm found. When you were lost, do you know what you did in your unrighteousness? Do you know what you did? You suppressed the truth. 
You suppress the truth that all creation was calling you and making it known to you plainly that there is a God, there is a creator above all things. And church, in that, I think what we need to do is take the edge off of our articulation of God to people. If people who don't know that their unrighteousness has made them the greatest recipient of deception. Then shouldn't we be confidently unoffendable when we articulate the truth that they have lied to themselves about? You see, when we talk about God, we need to be willing to know who we believe in because those who are lost in unrighteousness, they do not know. And by their own actions, they keep the truth from them. Look with me in verse 19 and verse 20, and we'll pause. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God, excuse me, because God has shown it to them verse 20 for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so they are without excuse I just want you to pause here. Again, in in this scripture, Paul is writing to the church. And he's saying, listen, I want to tell you why sin and why discipline is happening the way it is. But in articulating that to you, let me show you the truth. Let me explain to you what is real. Number one, God is. And what can be known about God is evident and can be clearly understood through creation. I'm not telling you that salvation can be clearly understood through creation. But what scripture says is this, church, be encouraged. If you ever have a moment of doubt, and I've never ran into a man, woman, or child who didn't have a moment of doubt now and then. When those doubt come, pick up your chin, open your eyes, and look around. Because if there's no one else to speak to you I want you to know creation declares the truth that God is church when we when we look back into the Old Testament there's something that's pretty amazing there is an assumption that God is from the beginning to the end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go all the way back to the, to the end, the last chapter of the Old Testament. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Throughout all of Scripture is this assumption that God is, and that starts to be how we see it. So in verse 20, when it starts to say, for God, and his, his, excuse me, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been perceived since the creation of the world and the things made, so they're without excuse. First of all, you and I can know God personally, even though we can't know him fully. Are you okay with that? Now, I, I'm not here to unpack how all the things in Scripture, if you want to know God better, then you are a part of a church, you're a part of a small group, and you're at word all the time. You, you never stop knowing God better because here's the reality. You and I cannot know God fully. He is simply too much. But let me tell you what God chose to do. God chose to find joy when his people seek him. 
See, in God's choosing to find joy when people seek him, you can know God and it gives God joy when you seek to know him personally. And you can seek to understand that in creation. See, when we talk about God's um, invisible attributes, those are those things that we can't see, but we know they point to something real. Creation does this over and over. It uses a real thing to show us something bigger. When God created the heavens and the earth, when he parted the Red Sea, when he let manna fall from heaven, if you were to read the story of Exodus and you were to read the words between God and Moses when the Lord was hardening Pharaoh's heart at the end, he says, I want to do this so that everyone who sees will believe in who I am. The miracles that God works are to make known an invisible attribute that he is divinely and eternally powerful. I mean, church, if you just kind of think on that for just a minute how a physical thing can make something bigger obvious and and i want to to give you a a a non-family illustration but it just doesn't work as well you know when i when christy and i decided to have kids i knew what love was right because i loved my wife and when we had a child i knew i would love that child but the moment our child took on physical form, do you know what she testified to? There is a real, deeper, expansive love out there than I have known up to this point. Are you following me? That, that what is physical actually testified to what was more real. An infinite amount of love that comes into that. And so now when I would talk to my children about who God is and how much does he love us. And I remember starting with Ashley, I, I had a cup and I filled this cup up with water and I said, I love you as much as I can all the way to the top. But I said, imagine me throwing that cup into the ocean. That's how much more God loves you than I, than I do. I love you with everything I am, but he is so much more. His love is expansive. Church, if you've wondered how does the sun and the moon and the stars declare his glory, as the psalmist said, if you've wondered how does creation, how do our seasons, how does the, the heat and the cold, how does it testify to the eternal power of God? Just for a moment, remember how the physical things in your life have made you aware of something more real than you were before the physical thing occurred. So when you, you look at Jesus and you talk about his illustrations, his miracles and his parables use physical created things to point to the very real eternal power of the almighty God so what what Paul says here is this what you can know about God is plain and you can see it in creation and you see his eternal power and you just see his divine nature through creation so I started to to do a, a background thought on what does it look like to to understand the word divine because we believe that our God is divine. 
And the word here, divine, just means deity. It means he is God. And what I love about this is if God is God and he is the greatest and the most, then he's the best author that we can go into, a resource for it, right? I mean, he, he knows it all and goes to it all. So here's the best word that I could find out that wasn't using the Bible word that we'll get to in a second is absolute. Because God is absolute, He's always been absolute. From the beginning, he will be absolute when there is an end. And everything in the middle, he is all-knowing, he is all-loving, he is always just, he is always kind. When it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, he is absolutely kind. There is never a point when he is not enough, insufficient, needed help. In fact, our God, being eternally divine, eternally powerful, and divine in his nature is independent. He is the only one, the only thing in all creation that is independent. Parents, if you have a child and you have been raising them to be independent, a grandparent in the room will testify you will not win. Right? We need something. We need someone. We can't live without. If you think you're independent, just hold your breath a while. There is nothing outside of the one who makes himself known and plain, the God most high, who is independent because he alone is absolute. And nature says it. Every theory of creation, every thought process of science, all of it falls short because something has to be absolute before something starts. Church, the God that we worship isn't hiding. He is absolute and he is eternally power, powerful. And if you can't see it, just say, Lord, open my eyes and look around and count the ways. Now, the second part of this is this. Our God is one. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, he is one. We have one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we would sing the old hymn, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And, and at the middle of it, here's what I, I do want you to know. Can we understand and conceive God because he fit in our box? Absolutely not. But God does God want us to pursue him? Absolutely. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 14. We will use the words of Christ, not the words of anyone else, to do so. What I want to show you is, in the words of the Lord, if all Scripture is God-breathed, we've already been here, it's his testimony, he's the highest authority, and the Son of God, God in the flesh spoke these words we can rely on fully and in this passage jesus talks to us about the relationship between the father the son and the spirit and there's so many more and there's so many places to dig into and it's totally worth it but here's what i want you to know before we talk just a moment about this relationship i think there is a place for pride to create issues when we start to try to articulate about the Trinity. And I, I think this is personal opinion. As Paul would say, this is not of the Lord, this is mine. I think Christians have shut down other Christians talking about the Trinity more than people who do not believe in God. 
I believe we are more critical in our brilliance than most others are. And I was talking to, to people this week and said, how would you describe the Lord? And they said, the Lord, the Lord's just like an apple, right? The, the skin, the peel, and the core, they're all the apple. The Lord's like an egg. The Lord's like a priest, a, a, a king, and a father. The, the, all of these different roles and all these different things. And what's going through my mind is every which way that we could tear that apart because it's insufficient. Now, here's the reality. If you and I said the Lord is an egg, we have a problem. Amen? The Lord is not an egg. If we said the Lord is an apple, we would be wrong, right? The Lord is not an apple. What if I were to say something like this to you? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And, and when it's planted in the ground and as it grows, it becomes large enough for all of the birds to come and rest in its branches. Does that feel like a biblical nod to something we can't understand? Are there ways that that example is incomplete in helping us understand the kingdom of heaven? Just in case you're wondering, if you've never thought about heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not a mustard seed, amen? The kingdom of heaven is not a tree. We are not gonna have eternal tree, oh, I just trust your dreams. We're not gonna have eternal tree houses that we all live in, just above the clouds somewhere. But is that illustration, although insufficient, imperfect in any way? It better not be, because who spoke it? The Lord did about himself and about his kingdom. And so I guess here's what I want you to know, church. We are called to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So I give all of us permission to be an encourager and self-controlled and not a discourager and when it's needed offer correction with gentleness and love but if a five year old or a seven year old who doesn't understand the abstract because God made them that way asks you how the father, son, and the spirit are one as a parent, do not be afraid to give them an illustration that is incomplete. Because I think we don't talk about the Trinity because we have shut each other down so much. We don't want to be an accidental heretic. Amen? John chapter 4. 14. I said 4. I apologize. John chapter 14. Verse 5. We, we normally read this, um, I feel like, at funerals more than anything else. John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in the midst of this, Thomas says to him in verse 5, um, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus says to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, for that's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Right here, Jesus says something that is either truth or blasphemy. When Thomas says, we don't know the way, God, Jesus tells him how he is. But when, when Philip says, show us the Father, that's just enough. Just give, give us a glimpse. I can imagine that Philip is thinking of a Moses moment. Just show me, show me your glory for a moment. Give me a swipe, sweeping sideways view of what's going on. When Philip says, show me the Father, Jesus says, have I been with you this long and you still do not know what? me see in this moment Jesus says we're one and he articulates it don't you believe that he is in me and I am him and 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 in this little circle that Christ offers, he says, do you want to know about how I relate with the Father? This isn't all the ways I relate with the Father, but if you want to know how I have a distinct role in our relationship inside this oneness, I am the way. There is no other way to get to know the Father except through me. There's no other path. There's no other one to figure it out. In fact, Jesus would say, anyone who comes in after the sheep without going through the way of the shepherd is a thief. And in that moment, he declares, there is no other way to the Father but Jesus Christ. Church, in that moment, Jesus says, here's my role. I'm the way. I came so that you could. I am the truth. Jesus is God made flesh. I am the, the truth and the proof of the Father, of his love for you, of his justice, of his kindness. If we start looking at the invisible attributes of, attributes of the Father, we start seeing them played out physically in the life, the decisions, and the roles of the Son. If you walk through the, the Gospels, church, and you read about the works of Christ, then you go back to the Old Testament, and you go through the Psalms, just the Psalms, what you start to see is the attributes of God played out perfectly through the Son. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the truth of the Father. And he is life from the Father. How do I know that? John chapter 1, verse 1 starts it off. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and that Word became flesh. Church, as it goes through, it talks about the Father making himself evident through the light of the Son, and that light was life to men. You see, Jesus is the way to the Father, the truth of the Father, and the life from the Father. He is visible. And maybe we would say the visible truth of those things which we cannot see and know completely about the Father. What Jesus says is, I and the Father are one. Do you want to know the Father? Know me. The first thought in this chapter of this conversation was believe in God, believe also in me. 
we know that the Father and the Son are unique. Verse 15 through 18 and verse 25 through 26, if you'll read those with me. Verse 15, Jesus still speaking says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you be in you i will not leave you as orphans i will come to see you verse 25 and verse 26 these things i've spoken to you while i am still with you but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that i have said to you if you kind of read through these passages of scripture what do you see you say jesus says i will send the helper to you and jesus says the father will send the helper to you in both of these ways they're consistent why because jesus says i and the father are one so we, we begin to see the relationship bowed out, brought out here. And the roles that the Spirit does are the roles of the Spirit, or are the roles the Father has given him. Because in the middle of all of this, it's not just some spirit that God has given us. This Holy Spirit of God is not a spirit that the Bereans had to test against to see if it was evil or good. This is the Spirit of the living God. In the Old Testament, he did not come and remain with anyone because sin did not permit justice to reside that way. But in Christ's coming, what we see is that we have been given a spirit who not is the truth, but teaches the truth of the Father. He brings the things of Christ to our remembrance. He ministers to us as an action of the Father. He is the seal of the Father. In fact, what the Bible says is that he will be with us and he remains with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. Jesus, who reigns eternally with the Father and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is one with the Spirit of God who will remain in us. He never leaves. And so in that, the Spirit is the seal of life from the Father. Why? Because he is the Holy Spirit of the Father. Church, what do we believe God is like? We believe that God is like who he has told us he is. When Moses asked this question in the Old Testament, he says, who will I tell them that they may believe that you sent me? Father said, I am who I am, or I be who I be. This is, this is the modern word I would use. I'm absolute. You tell them the one who is absolute, the deity who is above all else, who has always been, always has been, always is, and always will be. That's the one who sent you. And church, there's an undefiable reality that God is plain to see. And as plain as he is, you and I can't know him fully because no mind can conceive. But he has invited you to know him personally. And that's where the beauty of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit speak to us in a different way. We don't have to be able to cleanly, clearly put God in a box. 
by God's grace, he has made evident to us what he has chosen to make evident to us. And that he is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in his divine planning, he has said, the way to me is through my son. Life from me is found in him. And the seal of my promise is my spirit. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says this. For all they, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Instead, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal, immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Church, God is not in our image. He is not like us. We are called to be like him. And the biggest deception on the heart of unrighteousness is exchanging this relationship and trying to make who is absolute subservient to what is incomplete. And if you walked in today and that was the struggle of your heart, if you came in wondering who is God, how can I know, how can I be certain, how can I be sure, that's a long journey that we wanna walk with you with. But it has to start somewhere. So as infinitely confusing as it may have seemed, it starts by saying, Father God, open my eyes. Show me how Jesus is that way, is the truth, and is the life. So I can know you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. Lord, in the midst of all of this, God, I just pray that you would allow us to rest in your grandness. I really do, God. I want to know everything about you. But Lord, I know the way you designed me was that that was impossible. So Lord, let us know you personally. The eternal, the absolute, the divine the single God, creator of all things, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, let us pursue the knowledge of you so that we might share that truth with those who suppress the truth. And there plainly is a God over all of it. Lord, and if there's any in this room, that is a need of the comfort and the truth and the life that can only come in finding you, Lord. I pray now that you would stir their hearts and draw them near. In Jesus' name.